welcome to Sunday Sermons with Resurrection Church. This is the weekly preaching and teaching ministry of Resurrection Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. We just want to invite you to join us as we study God's story revealed through the Bible and seek to apply His truth to our modern life. Our hope is that through these teachings, you would experience life with Jesus as you experience life with us. Waiting is hard, isn't it? (laughs) I just started with 10 seconds of silence. And for most of us, it was probably uh, some of the longest and most awkward 10 seconds of our week so far. We're, We're kind of conditioned not to wait, which can make Advent and, and the Christmas season hard for us. We, we live in a world that no longer knows what it means to wait. We think that the only reason we would ever have to wait for anything is because we don't have an internet connection. <laughs> like seriously, I, there's probably somebody on the live stream or somebody's going to watch this sermon back who's like reaching for the like skip 15 second button for, the, for those first 10 seconds of silence. As I've been preparing for Advent, I've been kind of looking into just some of the cultural phenomena that we experience surrounding social media. And uh, it's, it's a, a dark, dark hole to go down. But uh, I, I saw some research uh, that suggested the ideal length of a TikTok video is anywhere from 21 to 34 seconds. This is, this is the goal. This is like the pinnacle of content creation now, is to, is to be between 21 and 34 seconds. They did some surveys of folks who use uh, TikTok, that, that social media platform, and they said that 50% of TikTok users find videos that go longer than 60 seconds to be stressful. Videos longer than one minute long actually are adding stress to people's lives. And one third of TikTok users watch every video on double speed because why waste 21 seconds when you can get it in in 10 and a half seconds? This is the culture that is forming us and shaping us. Uh, I want to say good morning before I get too far in. For those who don't know me, my name is Drew. I am the city pastor of Resurrection Gig Harbor. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this Advent sermon series waiting. You know, over the past couple weeks, we've been looking back to the generations who were waiting Jesus' first advent, his first coming, the coming of God, our Savior, into the world, and learning what it means for us to wait now as we wait for him to return, his second advent, his second coming when he will make all things new. And in doing so, these past couple weeks, we have considered how Jesus 
is the savior that we have waited for, the priest that we have waited for. And today on this third Sunday of the Advent season, I'd like to invite you to consider what it means for us to wait for a prophet. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to be uh, primarily in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. So if you've got your copy of the scriptures, go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18. Uh, before we jump in, I just want to say uh, I was uh, scheduled to preach next week. Uh, Pastor Pete was going to preach today, uh, and yesterday he sent a text to the whole staff that like his whole family was sick and and uh, just very sick. I'll, I'll spare you details, but uh, he's like, uh, I'll let you guys know by five o'clock yesterday whether I'm good to preach. And we were just like, uh, let, let, let's just let's just switch this up. And so uh, I am aware of a great quote by Charles Spurgeon that uh, Charles Spurgeon was a, an English preacher, a very, very famous pastor uh, who said, if you want me to speak for five minutes, give me a week to prepare. If you want me to speak for 20 minutes, give me a couple days to prepare. If you want me to speak for an hour, I'm ready right now. And so I'm, as, as I come into this today, having just finished the sermon yesterday, I'm aware of that and I'm, I'm going to try to not give in to that, okay? But uh, pray for me, all right? We're, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 18, just verses 15 through 19, just those five verses. I'm going to read them for us, and then I'll pray for our time together. This is the word of the Lord for you, church. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This accords with what happened at Horeb on the day of the assembly. You asked the Lord your God, Please do not make us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see this great fire anymore, lest we die. The Lord then said to me, What they have said is good. I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and I will speak to them, what, and he will speak to them whatever I command. I will personally hold responsible anyone who pays no attention to the words that prophet speaks in my name. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together, church. Father God, we, we come to you this morning eagerly wanting to hear from you, knowing that, that our very lives depend on being able to hear your voice and experience your presence. So we ask that you would come speak to us now. Fill us, fill this community, fill this place with your presence, Holy Spirit. We, we ask that you would open our eyes to see you as you truly are and open our ears to hear your words. Lord, I pray that you would make my words your words and that your word, your truth would be proclaimed today. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We say, speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever, I wonder, completed something, come to the end of something, whether it was a, a long season maybe of waiting or a, a task that you wanted to get done or maybe a, a project at work. Uh, my wife and I, when we moved into our new house this summer, like the first thing we did was take all the cabinets off 
the walls in the kitchen and remove all the doors and the cabinet faces. Uh, that was six months ago, and this past week we just got it put back together. We've, we've kind of come to the, the end of, of a season, but have you ever done that? Come to, to the, the completion, the culmination of something, only to realize that you're not actually at the end, but in reality at the beginning of something new. I can say with certainty that you have experienced this if you have ever been to Disneyland. Have you ever waited in line at Disneyland? I think the lines at Disneyland are like one of the, like they should be one of the seven wonders of the world. They are the, the, the very genius of Disneyland, I think. Because you walk up to some ride and you see a sign that's like, wait time, 237 minutes. First of all, they put it in minutes, so you don't know how long you're actually waiting because no one can do math that quick anymore. So you're like, 237, but no, here's the back of the line. I can see the front of the line. Ain't no way this is going to take 230. This is like a 45-minute line top. So you get in the back of the line, and you get your, you're moving right along. They keep you moving, and you think you're getting right up to the front, and then all of a sudden you turn right. And there's this whole other section of the queue that you never knew existed. And then they take you out of the ride and you're in some other area of the park. And they take you underground and you're like, oh, is this ride like at the Earth's core or something? That's cool. And then you come back up and then you go in a building, out of a building, all around. And then finally you're at the front of the line 237 minutes later. It is genius. Every time you think you're done waiting, you realize, oh, I'm only just getting started. Maybe a better analogy would be uh, becoming a parent. Many of us look forward for, for years, maybe even for our whole lives, toward that day when we would finally become a parent and finally you're holding your baby in your arms thinking, we made it, we're parents, we did it, only to realize, oh, we have a long way to go. We're actually only just beginning. This is essentially what is happening to the people of Israel here in the book of Deuteronomy. All of the book of Deuteronomy actually narratively takes place in one day as Moses stands up before the people in order to preach to them, to remind them of God's law. Here the people are at the end of a long season, the end of 400 years enslaved in Egypt and 40 more years wandering through the wilderness. And now they stand with only the Jordan River separating them from the promised land. Moses gets up to speak at what they think might be the end of something. And as we read his words and hear them along with the people of Israel, we realize that in reality, we are only just beginning. In verse 15 of chapter 18, Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Okay, so there's something that God is going to do. There's something that the people ought to do. The Lord is going to raise up a new prophet. The people must Listen to him. The people might be coming to the edge of the river, to the edge of the promised land, thinking that all of their waiting is done. Thinking that being in the place God has purposed for them is the same as living the life God wants them to live. 
They think that all their toil, all of their struggle might be over if their feet can just be on different soil. And Moses is saying, this is not the end. Rather, we are only beginning this journey, striving after a life with God. The life that God has promised to them is available in the land that God has promised to them, but it's not a given. The people will still need help. And that help is going to come in the form of a prophet. Now, to clarify, when I say the word prophet, many of us probably jump immediately to someone who who foretells future events long before they happen. Maybe you picture like Professor Trelawney from Harry Potter. I don't know. My, my wife and I, when after Thanksgiving, I was like, it's time to watch Christmas movies. And Sarah goes, Harry Potter? And I said, yes, Harry, but that is, that is what I meant by Christmas movies. So may, maybe you picture something like that when I say the word prophet. And, and that's fine. Telling the future or foretelling future events is part of what prophecy is about, but it's certainly not the whole of what prophecy is given for. In fact, future telling, especially long off future events, is only a really small part of what biblical prophecy is actually about. Uh, In the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, which is a a wonderful resource, I I would highly recommend it. The authors kind of go through the different genres of scripture and help us understand how to read certain genres. And in the prophecy section, they point out that only 5% of Old Testament prophecy is far enough in the future to be about the new covenant era, the, the era that Jesus ushered in with his life, death, and resurrection. Only 5%. Only 2% of Old Testament prophecy is expressly messianic, and only 1% of biblical prophecy pertains to things that are still in the future for us today. That changes how we think of the Lord raising up a prophet. See, prophets, are they concerned about the future? Yes, but they're much more concerned with communicating God's word for God's people now. Much more than the question, what's going to happen, prophets are concerned about the question, what is happening, really? The act of prophecy is one of revealing the truth about the present and the implications that it might have for the future. It's an act of speaking God's word, communicating messages from God to his people. We might call this forth-telling prophecy rather than foretelling prophecy. It's the ability to hear from God and then to communicate God's desires, God's will, God's standards, God's law, God's warning, God's promises. Prophets were very concerned about the present, helping people live now in light of who God is. It, it seems to me that if you were to ask many Christians who the most important prophet is in the Old Testament, you might get a few different answers. You, you might get uh, names like Isaiah or Jeremiah, you know, the, the guys who wrote the really long books, because they wrote really long books. That, that, that must make them really important. Maybe, though, you would hear answers of some of the more famous stories, like from the books of Kings, like Elijah and Elisha, 
Those guys, those are the stories we tell in Sunday school. So, so those clearly must be the most important prophets. Or maybe you just would name the ones you remember the best. Like Jonah had the big fish. So maybe, maybe, I don't know, that's memorable. Daniel had the lions. That's memorable. But if you would ask any ancient Israelite, any early Jewish Christian who the most important prophet was, you would get a unanimous answer in return. Moses. Moses. He is the most important, kind of the the archetype for what a prophet ought to be in Scripture. The, The later prophets spoke to kings, but Moses spoke to God directly on Mount Sinai. Other prophets received dreams and visions and messages in order to call people back to obedience to God's law, but Moses received the law itself and gave it to God's people. The, the later prophets were all pointing back to Moses, trying to get people to finally just step in line with what Moses was telling them in the wilderness. But Moses, he saw God's very presence and came down off the mountain glowing. Moses met with God at the tent of meaning and talked to him directly. Without Moses, it's, it's incredibly clear that the people never would have made it through the wilderness. They, they tried time and again to run back to slavery in Egypt. And the only thing that stood in between them and their old bondage was Moses proclaiming the word of God. But even with Moses, the people still didn't do that great in the desert. They had this this wonderful, this great prophet, and yet they were chasing after idols when they were not even around any idol-worshipping peoples. They they created idols in order to chase after idols because there weren't any others to chase after. They, They were complaining about God's apparent lack of provision when God's own presence was living three tenths down from them at the end of the road. Moses, under God's guidance, brought the people right to the edge of the promised land. Things were good with a good prophet. And yet, Moses says that we need another. Moses stands at the edge between the wilderness and the promised land and tells that we need to wait for another prophet who God would raise up. It begs the question, if Moses is so great, why would we wait for somebody else? The answer, very simply, is that because even though Moses was great, Moses was not perfect. Yes, he was chosen and used by God. Yes, he is kind of the archetype of Old Testament prophecy, but he was also a sinful man in his own right. And because of Moses' sin, God told him that he would not be allowed, not be permitted to enter into the promised land. Moses' big failure came in a moment that gets recorded in Numbers chapter 20. I'm I'm not going to read through the whole story, but I will summarize it for you just briefly, if you'll let me. The people of Israel uh, come in this moment to Moses and his brother Aaron complaining again. And it's not like a new creative complaint that they have. They, They come and complain about the same thing that they've been complaining about for basically their whole time. Saying, hey, God's not providing enough for us. This time it's water. 
Uh, we, I know we came to you and complained about not having water before, and, and God did a, a miracle. He made water come out of a rock. But uh, yeah, we don't think that's going to happen again. So here we are complaining that we don't have any water. They actually tell Moses, it would have been better for us to die as slaves in Egypt than to be thirsty here in the desert. So Moses and Aaron uh, receive their complaint and they take it to God and they say, uh, hey God, first of all, these people <laughs> that you gave us, we'll talk about that later. Any chance you can spare a sip? These people are complaining, they're thirsty, we need water. They kind of have a point. Can, can you spare us some water to drink? God hears their prayer and he says to Moses, pick up your staff. Assemble all the people together and go to this rock over here and speak to the rock. And when you speak to the rock, I'm going to make water come out. That'll be enough for the people, all their livestock. It'll, it'll be plenty of water and more. So Moses takes up his staff. He assembles all the people together. And as Moses stands in front of the rock, rather than obeying God and speaking to the rock, he takes his staff and hits the rock to make water come out. Based on the crickets in the room, I can tell some of you are thinking, that's it? Like, that's the big failure? Like, I messed up more than that this morning. Like, like Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. That's the big deal? Yes, that is the big deal. How are God's people ever supposed to follow God's word if God's prophet doesn't even obey? Sometimes we, we can do this thing where we dismiss if we only disobeyed in the details. God doesn't do that. When, when God gives his word, gives his instruction, he cares about the details. He, he instructs us in ways that will lead us to life. And so when we go against something that God says, even in the details, we are going against life itself. How are the people supposed to obey if their prophet won't even obey? So God says to Moses, because you did not trust me enough to show me as holy before the Israelites, therefore you will not bring this community into the land that I have promised them. Up till this point in the story, God's been talking to Moses about the land that I promised you, y'all. Now God says, you won't get to go into the land that I promised them. Because of his sin, Moses doesn't get to enter the land. I want us to see that Moses' sin is the same as any other. It's not simple disobedience, if ever there was such a thing. Moses' act is robbing God of his glory, not trusting God enough to live in light of his holiness. That is all sin ever is, a choice to trust one's own ability rather than God, a choice not to trust God and show his holiness, but to trust myself, my ability. So Moses doesn't enter the land, but God is too good and too loving to leave his people without a prophet. So Moses says another prophet like him will be raised up. If we continue on to verse 16. 
13, we, we see the reason why the people so desperately need a prophet. Moses says, God's going to raise up another prophet. And this accords with what happened at Horeb on the day of the assembly. You might be asking, like, what is that about? This is a reference to actually the, the day when Moses went up onto the mount called Horeb. Uh, most scholars believe this is the same mount as Mount Sinai. It's just two different names for the same location. So this is the day Moses went up and actually received the Ten Commandments from God. So the, the whole community, the whole nation of Israel is gathered at the foot of the mountain. Moses goes up to receive God's law, the Ten Commandments, God's words of life. And the people ask the Lord your God, Please do not make us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see this great fire anymore, lest we die. Moses is, is up on the mountain. The people can't see him though. When, when they look to the top of the mountain, all they can see is lightning flashing and smoke smothering the peak. It's, it's a terrifying Thing. When they try to, to listen for any sign that Moses might still be alive, all they can hear is thunder and the sound of trumpets. The people at the foot of the mountain are scared. They're terrified. So when Moses comes back down, it says that they beg him, please do not make us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore. Don't make us see this great fire, which is the very presence of God anymore, lest we die. I want us to, to notice a couple of things that the people say here. First, they say, don't make us. Don't make us hear God's voice. Don't, don't make us experience God's presence as if God's words, God's presence are something that he imposes on us by force rather than inviting us to by grace. I think that this, these words show a misunderstanding on the part of Israel of who exactly their God is. God established a good and healthy boundary for them. He told Moses, you can come up, but leave the people at the base of the mountain. Otherwise, they truly might die. So the people are, are where they are supposed to be, seeing, hearing that which God clearly intended them to see and hear. And they tell Moses, don't make us hear it anymore. Don't, don't make us, don't impose God's voice and God's presence upon us anymore. It's as if they see the voice and the presence of God as a burden and bondage rather than seeing it for what it truly is, which is the only way to live in freedom. But then they, they go on. They say, please don't make us lest we die. God has already made a good provision to keep them alive. He said, stay down here. This is where you're supposed to be. And here they are in the place where God told them to be saying, we don't trust God to keep us safe. Don't make us hear his voice anymore. Don't make us see his presence anymore, lest we die. See, the people would rather stay in the safety of separation from God in their sin rather than risk the life of God when we stay where he tells us to be. 
hearing his voice, living in his presence. Moses says, it's because of these words that we need a prophet. It's because we as a people are unwilling to hear the voice of God, to see the presence of God, that we need a prophet. Continuing on, verse 17, the Lord then said to me, what they have said is good. God basically says, if they, if, if they don't want to hear my voice directly, okay, I will give them a prophet. I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them whatever I command. And I will personally hold responsible anyone who then pays no attention to the words that prophet speaks in my name. Here's God. All right, you want a prophet? I will give you a prophet. I will put my words in his mouth. You, you will still hear my words, but I'll let you hear his voice instead. I want to give you my power, but you'll have to settle for the prophet's presence among you instead because you have rejected me. He says that he will put that God himself will put his words in the prophet's mouth and the prophet will speak whatever God commands. This is actually a reversal of Moses' sin, if you look at it. God told Moses to speak to the rock. God put words in Moses' mouth. He did speak them. He struck it instead. God says, I'll raise up another prophet. He'll be like you, but he'll speak the words that I tell him to speak. A prophet like Moses, but somehow even greater than Moses. He goes on, I will hold personally responsible anyone who pays no attention to the words that prophet speaks in my name. Verse 19 is interesting to me. God in his grace, in his love, in his goodness says, I will give another prophet, a greater prophet, a better prophet even than Moses. And people still will not listen. Isn't that interesting? The people clamor for a, a mediator between them and God when what they really need is, is the very voice, the very presence of God to come into them and change them from the inside out. But since they have rejected that, God says, I will give them a prophet who can call them to obedience, but who can't change their heart. And so I will still have to hold accountable those who don't listen to my prophet. The problem that the people have, the problem that this generation had as they stood at the, at the precipice of a new beginning was not about outward behavior. Rather, it was about inward disposition. The, the problem of sin is never about only the things that we do, although those are a problem. When we do things that don't align with the words of God, with the instructions of God, yes, that's a problem, but sin cuts deeper. It is a fundamental rejection of God's voice and God's presence. 
It is a heart that has become hard like stone toward God to the point where it hears the voice of God and says, please don't make me hear it. Where it sees the presence of God and says, please don't make me see it. What the people need is not simply a new prophet. They need a new kind of prophet. One who can not only call them to obedience, but make them the kind of people who can live in obedience. What they need is a prophet who can give them a new heart. Now y'all know when I say the people and they and them, I'm really talking about y'all, right? I'm talking about us, myself included. I, I don't mean they, I mean we. You and I are no different from the wilderness generation. We too can become scared at the invitations of the true and living God. We too can become demanding and self-righteous in our approach to God, accusing him of not following through on his promises. We too can favor the safety of our own sin over the adventure of a life lived quorum Deo before the face of God. We too need a prophet who can change not only our behavior, but our own very hearts. So when we hear Moses speaking at the edge of the promised land, promising a new prophet, he is speaking to us, church. Moses couldn't enter the promised land. He he died in the wilderness. The people went in without him. After Moses, God raised up Joshua, and Joshua was a good prophet. He was a a good leader. He led the people well. The the Bible tells us that Israel worshipped God as long as Joshua lived. Not only as long as Joshua lived, but even after he died, as long as all the people who remembered Joshua lived, Israel worshipped God. That's how great of a leader he was. But even Joshua could not change the hearts of the people. And when the generation died out who knew Joshua, the same old problems began to come up again. The people went astray. It says that they all did whatever was right in their own eyes. After Joshua, God continued to raise up prophets. They came, they, they spoke, they died. In every generation, God raised up prophets. They called people to repentance. They called people to obedience and faithfulness. And with each prophet, there was a renewed hope that maybe this would be the one that we really need. But with each prophet, the problem only seemed to become more embedded in the people. In time, the prophets themselves began thinking of the day when the true prophet would come, the one that God promised through Moses all those years ago. God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah about the day of that true prophet and said, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. All the prophets could do was was shout it, 
from next to them, from in front of them, from above them, from behind them, wherever the prophets could post up to make God's word known, they would do it, but no prophet had ever been able to get into the human heart and rewrite the code. God promises, I will be their God and they will be my people. Ezekiel says something similar. Or I should say God through Ezekiel says, I will give them in that day of that prophet one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. Here are two of the great prophets of Israel, two of of the most notorious and prolific writers of the Old Testament saying, we need somebody who can do what we can't do. We need somebody else, a different kind of prophet who can come and take away the hard hearts and give us hearts of flesh. If God is ever going to make good on his promise from Deuteronomy 18, we need somebody who can do more than communicate effectively. We need somebody who can do the miraculous, who can change a heart. Friends, don't you long for that prophet? Don't, don't you look at the world and wish that a prophet would come who would not just tell us what to do, but actually help us do it. Not just tell us where to find life, but, but lead us to the water so that we could drink freely of it. Don't you look at your family and wish that God's law could be written on their hearts. Don't say amen, that's fine. They might be sitting next to you. Don't you look at your own heart and long for it to be changed from stone to flesh. Friends, I I shouldn't have to tell you who this prophet is. Here's the heart of the matter today, friends. Only Jesus can change a heart. The prophet promised by Moses, the prophet that God would raise up had to be some different kind of prophet. So God the Son looked down from heaven and said, you know what, I'll do it. Only God has the power to change a heart. And so we needed a prophet who was God himself to come, enter into human history and change us from the inside out. Jesus is the prophet that all the other prophets had been waiting for. Every time somebody stood up to speak a word from God and the people responded in sin and rebellion, it was readying us for the day that the very word of God would take on flesh and dwell among us. Jesus is the perfect Prophet. He is the only one who can change a heart. And all other prophets were pointing us forward to him. Jeremiah, yeah, he, he was a faithful prophet, but he couldn't change people's hearts. He couldn't stop the nation of Israel from being taken away into exile. But the true prophet, the true prophet Jesus, came into our exile in order to lead us to freedom. Ezekiel was told by God to open his mouth and to eat what God gave him. And what God gave him was the the very word of God. Ezekiel spoke that word, but the people remained in sin. Meanwhile, Jesus, the true prophet, 
went into exile in the, the wilderness for 40 days. And while he was there, he was tempted by the enemy of God. And he responded saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very word that comes from God. Jesus spoke words that replaced hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, just like Ezekiel said he would. Isaiah saw the glory of God and said, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. And God sent an angel with a burning coal to touch it to his lips. He he told him, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And I want to tell somebody today that Jesus is the burning coal that comes to touch your heart, to take away your guilt and to atone for your sins. Daniel saw visions of one like a son of man coming on the clouds from heaven. Jesus is the son of man who came from heaven and returned ascending on the clouds and promised to come back in much the same way. Jonah was sent to preach to the enemies of God's people. Jesus came to die for us while we were enemies of God. Amos said that God's justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like a flowing stream. And on the cross, all the justice of God for the sin of the world rolled itself right down on Jesus. And from his side came a flowing stream of forgiveness, grace, and life, righteousness from God. Joshua was told to be strong and courageous as he entered into the land to conquer it. Jesus displayed his full strength in weakness as he entered into death to conquer it. Moses gave the law to the people of Israel. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law for all God's people. Moses struck the rock in sin and water still poured forth. Jesus was the rock who was struck for our sin and his life poured forth to us. Jesus is our prophesied prophet, friends. The one that all other prophets point to, the one God has promised to raise up. And can I tell you, he raised him up. Because Jesus did enter into death to conquer it, but God raised him up on the third day, never to die again. Jesus had prophesied this temple will be torn down, but I will rebuild it in three days. And that word came to pass because the temple he was talking about was his own body. So what shall we do in response to this prophet? We do what Moses implored us to do at the edge of the wilderness. The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Friends, can you just let that sink in for a moment? Moses doesn't say, consider listening to him. He doesn't say, maybe listen to him. He doesn't say you should listen to him. You must listen to him. Why? Why must we listen to Jesus? Because it is only in the words of Jesus 
that we can find the life we are looking for. You must listen to Jesus. God has given us his one and only son as the perfect prophet to call us back in relationship to God and to change our very hearts. Jesus has done all the work that is necessary to bring us into the kingdom, to give us life. And all he invites us to do is listen to him. We must listen to him when he says that the greatest commandment is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Don't be divided in your love. You must love him with, with all your soul. You must love him with all your mind and with all your strength. We must listen to him when he says there's a second commandment just like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. These next couple weeks, as, as you are getting together with family or friends to, to celebrate Christmas and old tensions start to arise, as you feel tempted to become frustrated or to respond to a family member in anger, listen to Jesus. If you remember that your brother has something against you, he says, stop what you're doing. Go and be reconciled to him. Pursue reconciliation and peace this Advent. What when you are caught up in, in the stress and the, the busyness of the season and you are tempted to lash out at your spouse and to, to point out all the ways he or she is, is failing you, listen to Jesus. Before you point out the speck in somebody else's eye, you better take the log out of your own eye first. Pursue forgiveness this Advent. When, when you're concerned about the, the stuff of Christmas, whether gifts or, or meals or, or even what you're going to wear to Christmas Eve church, when you're tempted to be anxious about these things, you must listen to Jesus because if God feeds the birds and clothes the flowers, will he not also provide for you? Pursue faith and trust this Advent. When you are surrounded by people celebrating, but you are in a season of mourning and grief, you must listen to Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Pursue the comfort of Christ this Advent. When you are faced with that very person you have avoided all year long, but now you are forced to be with them, you must listen to Jesus. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Pursue love this Advent. I'm convinced, friends, that if we do this, we join in the prophetic ministry of Jesus. I don't think that, that there's any more profound thing that we can do, any, any more prophetic thing that we could do to reveal the truth of how the, the world really is than to listen to Jesus. 
and to pursue him above all else. See, friends, even as we listen to him, he changes our hearts to make us more like him. So will you listen to him? Will we not be like the wilderness generation saying, don't make us listen to the voice of God. Don't, don't make us see his presence lest we die. Rather, can we say by faith, I need to listen to his voice. I must listen to my Jesus. I must experience his presence for only there can I truly live. Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you. We thank you for coming through on your promises to us. You do not let any of your words go out or come back empty. Not a word falls to the ground unfulfilled. You are perfectly faithful. Lord, we... We know what it is to be unfaithful. We know what it is to, to strive and to try in our own strength, to, to pick up our staff and hit the rock that you have told us to speak to. Lord, would you speak to the rocks of our hearts and make them flesh? Would you transform us by your voice, and by your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, congrats. You made it through the whole sermon. We just want to say thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons with Resurrection Church. Again, this is the weekly preaching and teaching ministry of Resurrection Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. If you want to connect with us, you can do that by going to our website at resurrectionchurch.com. There you will find all the ways to worship with us, and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, connect with us through a group or event, find a place to serve, and give financially. We're so thankful for each and every one of you, and our hope is that you will continue to live life with Jesus this week.